Welcome to The Observer Effect, a podcast of travel stories. Each week, we hope to bring you a conversation with someone we meet overseas, and at least one good story. Episode 46, The Other Kavish, Quintana Roo, where Kavish spent his last pesos. I know you must hold secrets, such a long way from home. Someday you won't be so alone. Someday you'll be where you should go, sings the inimitable Brit Daniel from the band Spoon. That's not necessarily a comment on Kavish or his story. Kavish, I know you're out there listening. More of a thesis statement for this podcast. So, can you describe what you look like for the audience? <laughs> what do I look like? My friend beside me is already laughing at this question. She can help if you want. Um, if you'd prefer that she describe you. Would you like to describe me? <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll start and then you can interject if okay. I'm embellishing anything. Here. So I would say I am a 5'10". Gentlemen, which is true, I am 5'10". Um, dark brown skin, darker because I've been traveling in warm climate for two weeks. Um, and you said you burn easily? I, I, I surprisingly do for a South Asian person. I, said I, I burn quite easily, which I was very surprised about. Um, so I came prepared SPF 50 on this trip. Um, what else can I say? Slim build. The, the, the 2017 beard in fashion look <laughs> although I will say I've been rocking the beard since like 2004 so um, all due credit I would like to say you know I'm, I, I set that trend before Brad Pitt did yeah. uh, anything else to add I'm no short like do you want like a that's, full like, that's perfect okay, yeah, cool. just give them a picture of who they're listening cool, to cool, cool. anything else would you like to add anything Heterosexual. <laughs> I don't know if I'd agree. With, I think there's. Really do you know what? Thing. I mean, I guess yeah. it could be. it's all appearance. What else? What else? Is You're it? trying to say like I'm well groomed. Well, like, I don't know. I, I, there's definitely more well groomed people out there than I. Like for example, I do not do my eyebrows, and I'm against doing my eyebrows. Well, you have more. Basically, has more toiletry than I do. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's a, that's a yeah. podcast for another day. I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, I dispute that comment, but that's a podcast for another day. <laughs> uh, would you say you have a careful look? Do you think about the impact of your appearance on, on others? I think that's that's a semi-fair statement. So certainly, one thing I can give an example of. I do take care of my beard. Like I've got I've got a beard trimmer. I like to keep it at a certain you use level. An oil? Like no, no, no. no. So I, I've I, done that before. Okay, it's okay. really nice. Cool. I recommend it. Cool. My, you know, people, friends, and and family members have also recommended it. But um, on a scale of one to beard oil, I'm definitely about a four or a five in terms of the beard uh, hygiene and grooming. <laughs> but I do. I, I will admit, um, I do. You know, I, I like to line it up. And actually, my barber. I'd like to give a shout out to my barber. <laughs> who spends a you good one hour. Him, yeah. Uh, yeah, so his name's Sam. He works, so, so I live in Vancouver. Uh, shout out to Junior's uh, Barbershop. And shout out to my man, Sam. 
keeps the boy looking fresh. Gives me that zero fade, lines up the beard. And I kid you not, every guy, every every patron of the barbershop who sits in the chair next to me when I'm getting my hair cut always looks at Sam and says, dude, that's a sick haircut. That's amazing. So, like, I'm not taking credit for it because he's doing right. all the work, but I, right. I appreciate yeah. the fact that... Um, so, anyway, shout out yeah. to Sam. What up, Sam? <laughs> that is true because there was a time when you missed your barber's appointment. So this is a big thing for me. So when I lived abroad in London, you know, was, I had to find a certain barber, and I lived in East London, and the barber was in West London. But I would commute one hour just to get my. Anyway, we're, I feel like we're getting off track. All right, all right, all right. back to it. All right. But I'm glad you interjected. That that added a whole new layer. So next, can you describe where we are? Sure. So um, we are. Am I, can I say exactly where we are? Yeah, as much so as So we are on the island of Key Cocker, which is a part of the country of Belize in Central America. Uh, more specifically, it's about eight thirty-nine in the evening. Uh, it's, uh, so obviously the moon is out. I think it's still a full moon. It's still a full moon. It's still a full moon. Yeah. A full moon. And it's okay. Got an internal body clock, which is like. Exact. Your, your interjecting point is over, by the way. That was for the first question. <laughs> Um, there's a lovely, a lovely breeze. The air is very warm. Yeah, describe um, some things you see. Sure, sure, sure. So we're sat at a picnic table um, in a restaurant, in the back of a restaurant outdoors. On a dock, actually. <laughs> on a dock, exactly. The restaurant is, I guess, built onto a dock or backs onto a dock. Yeah. Um, sitting right on the edge of a water, so right on the edge of the island of Key Cocker. Um, I'm going to point out, I can see the other side of the island mm-hmm. down this dirt road. <laughs> so... To give a sense of the scale of totally. the island. So, so I guess to the, to the listeners who have not visited Key Cocker, um, you could walk from one end to the other in, what, a minute and a half maybe? Yeah. <laughs> um, what else is there? So there's, I can see a barbecue going. you get got a lovely smell of charcoal coming off the barbecue. There's palm trees to the left of us. There's a little shack with a tin roof to the right of us with some chopped up logs. Um, there's some calm water behind us, and there's a few stars out as well. And you can see Orion, this constellation of Orion with Orion's belts right there. Um, that is one of the best descriptions I've gotten. <laughs> I can point it out to you if you'd like. Um, yeah, so, so what brings you to Kikok, or why did you come here? Cool, so... Um, I'm essentially on my two-week allotted holiday in my, from work, essentially. And I'm here with a good friend of mine, her name's Binta, uh, who works in the UK. I work in Canada. Uh, we've been friends for several years now, and we were just chatting about, you know, we should try and do some travel together. Binta wanted to come visit me, where I live in Vancouver. Um, that didn't really work out, but we said, hey, if you can't come to Vancouver, let's still try and do a little trip. Mm-hmm. Um, Binta was planning on doing some traveling for four months, and I only had two weeks, so I said, anyway, let's coordinate those two weeks. And so we were doing a little hunting, and this is what we decided upon, a little Central America trip, starting in Mexico and making our way through Central America. My trip is going to end here in Belize, and then Binta's going to carry on through to uh, Panama. Everybody look for the Binta episode. <laughs> yeah, 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 there you go. That'll be part two of this. No <laughs> So, what role would you say travel has played in your life? Ah, very interesting. It's a very existential question. (laughs) It's certainly shaped me a lot. It's changed me a lot. It's opened my outlook on life a lot. So, I guess giving your listeners a bit of background, I grew up in Toronto. It's um, the biggest city in Canada. 
and we were kind of chatting about this earlier the the North American mentality of life going through life you, you made a kind of hand gesture and you're starting it right now mm-hmm. can you describe that hand gesture sure so what I guess mean? I've got my palms together in sort of like a prayer <laughs> motion and but it's not really praying it's more of like a chop suey cutting motion as I go from um Item to item to item, chopping through life, essentially, making it very cut and dry. Very sequenced and regulated. And regulated, evenly spaced through each of the chops, I would suppose you could say. Um, I feel like... um, Speaking of chopped and... Here here comes our lovely dinner. Rice and beans, barbecue chicken. That's me over here. Thank you. Yeah, go ahead and finish that thought, and then we'll... Okay, sure, sure. No, no, uh, what I was essentially trying to say was... Growing up in Toronto, um, you've got this mentality that um, life is all about getting through school, going into high school, kind of formating, for- formulating what you want to do with your life, and from there you go straight into your bachelor's degree, um, or if you don't want to go to university, you go into your work. But if you do your bachelor's degree, then you decide, do I want to do a postgrad degree? From there you go straight into a job, from there you go straight into finding a partner, um, having that two and a half kids, a uh, pet dog, a minivan, so on and so forth. So it's very set out in a way that life should be set out. And you don't really know any different. And the other part to that is that growing up in Toronto, you grow up in this bubble. Toronto is one of the greatest cities in the world. I don't have a single bad thing to say about it. It's a global city. Um, it's an accepting city. Uh, it's I don't know what your political affiliations are, but it's a very liberal city. Um, but you get stuck in this bubble that says Toronto uh, is is one of the centers of the world. If you go a bit further, the center of the world is probably New York or L.A. And the world revolves around America and to a certain extent Canada. And the rest of the world is just that, the rest of the world. And I was very fortunate in the sense that I got to, after doing the typical Torontonian thing, high school, bachelor's degree, master's degree, I then decided to apply for medical school outside of Canada. Uh, in the UK, partly because of uh, connections with family, partly because I decided I wanted to travel while I was still in my 20s, uh, whilst getting a very good education. And it completely changed me for the better. I think if you put a pinpoint on that moment in time and timeline diversion two different paths, Kavish staying in Canada, Kavish traveling to the UK, and then going on to travel around Europe, etc., you'd have two completely different people. So certainly it's broadened my horizons, it's made me see that where I came from was not the center of the universe, and I've developed this mass, I've developed this open mind about life in general. How would you describe Kavish in Canada? <laughs> the alternative, Kavish. Kavish in Canada, um... Excuse me guys, the Creole shrimp with plantain and rice and beans? Yep. Your one is coming. There you go. Um, Kavish in Canada. Uh, that's a very interesting question. Um, so still, I'm getting even more existential. <laughs> trying to top myself. Here. And the beautiful thing about this is Binta can interject about this because she didn't know Kavish in Canada. So I could say whatever I could want, and you guys wouldn't know. You wouldn't be any the wiser. Can you describe his facial hair? <laughs> uh, uh, looking back, it was hideous, but I thought I was the man back then. So I used to rock the chin strap, you know, from one sideburn to the other. 
with a little soul patch there, and the rest of it was clean. Um, and back in the day, so so in so Kavish in Canada, this was like the mid 2000s when the triple XL jeans and, and shirts were kind of in style. So and the, the uh, baseball hats with the stickers still on them. Uh, and I know some of you listeners know what I'm talking about. <laughs> So uh, I guess that was very, very skinny. And uh, I don't know what else is there to say. But, but again, I guess part, sort of in this bubble of Toronto, yeah. being the center of the universe. Okay, all right, guys, enjoy. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, we'll officially pause there, but just I'll leave it on and we'll just have conversation. Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, but we'll see how it goes. We may pick it up. You can do that. But thank you. This is so great. This is really good. <laughs> Are you going to capture eating sounds? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's cool. That's cool. Kavish and Toronto. That's, you know, I guess I haven't really thought about what I was like before. Because you don't know if the changes have happened because I've just grown up as a person. Right. Or is it because I've traveled or, or lived away from home? Lived Like I haven't lived under my parents' roof since I was 18. Right. Which is very different for a lot of South Asian people, you know? Let me see if crocodile. <laughs> There's a crocodile? There's a smaller one that comes around, but they're not eating chicken at night. Ah. She's got a mm. massive fear of crocodiles. This is a great segue into this. An incredible fear of crocodiles. To the point where she won't no, even I buy this. I feel like, should we sell Yeah. <laughs> See, I'm not, it's not like a un- reasonable fear. That's something to be scared of. Yeah. Like well, spiders, that's not a reasonable fear. It's here? Yeah. It's here. Relax. What? <laughs> See? Do you guys want to move? It's here. <laughs> Those are great words. I'm glad we're recording this. Whatever happens, <laughs> we should just so we should describe the, to the listeners uh, Bint's face at the moment. Yeah. I love you, mom. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's go see. I love yeah, to see. Yeah, the here. So this is an extra bonus to get that many sunset. So. Uh, oh, his tail. Ah, oh, he's swimming. He's he's underneath there. Baby one. Wow. <laughs> I can deal with that crocodile. He's not so bad. It's not like a ten foot. Not what I picture. Not a crocodile. Yeah, not <laughs> <a crocodile. laughs> have you guys eaten crocodile before? I have eaten crocodile before. It's really tasty. Mm-hmm. Tastes like chicken, if you ask me. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, um, we just abandoned um, Canada Kavish to the dustbin of history mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we'll never know good riddance yeah. <laughs> I feel like the Kavish who emerged is a, is a, is a much better person <laughs> so can you be specific about how the UK has changed you like you mentioned before the educational system being totally different uh, and you, you said I wish I had turned the recorder on before when you said this but they actually encourage people to travel Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) it sounds so foreign Mm -hmm. so this is yeah it's something that I noticed independently and is like confirmed from friends of mine and colleagues of mine that I studied with in London when I was doing medical school Um, 
so just touching on what I was saying about North America and the rat race and stuff when you when you're then given time to so I'll use medical school as an example because that's where I'm coming from in the medical school in the in Canada and the US you're given this period of elective time where you can use several weeks or months whatever you have and uh, focus on a specialty that you're interested in a field of medicine that you're interested in and do it anywhere you'd like to do it including I mean that that's out of country, overseas. But most people in Canada and the U.S. choose to do that within their own country with the means of finding or getting the uh, appropriate experience and finding the right people to give them reference letters so that they can eventually work in that field. Now in the U.K., where I did my medical school, I found it to be completely different. In final year, when you're given that elective time, students choose more to focus on personal growth so using that three months to leave the country go abroad to whatever country you can think of um, and do a little bit of of medical work but really use it as an opportunity to travel with the understanding that after this final few months of medical school I'm now in the rat race of medicine training consistently till I'm um, an attending physician or a consultant as they call it over there so it's a completely different mentality to what we have growing up in North America. Even coming out of high school in the UK, you can get acceptance into a university and choose to defer that for a year in order to travel, work abroad, uh, and so on and so forth, which is an option we really don't have yeah. uh, in Canada and the US. So um, I told you guys, so I'm, tr- I'm working and doing my residency in Canada again after living in the UK for six years. And even in my residency program, we've got 14 weeks of elective time. And when I mentioned to my colleagues that I'd like to use that to go abroad, maybe do some travel medicine, go somewhere rural, Southeast Asia or South America, um, it, was very, it was a very foreign concept to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's certainly one thing that has... It's something that I would have never considered had I not left my comfort zone in Canada. And I, it wasn't a big jump. I mean, you're going from a developed city like Toronto to a very cosmopolitan, even more developed city like London. Mm-hmm. But your um, perspective on what is central changes completely. And you realize that bubble that you were in is just that. It's a bubble in a universe of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of other bubbles. Mm-hmm. Um, And I'm definitely a better person for it because I certainly haven't traveled as much as the other people, the other three of you sitting at this table, but I'm no longer closed-minded to think that everything outside of um, Kavish 2004 bubble was just, just, just that, just outside. Like, I understand that there's a lot more to it than that. Yeah. I'm curious about your relationship to Southeast Asia. You, you've mentioned it a couple times. I think we all come from immigrant families. Uh-huh. Uh, my family is actually refugees from Germany 100 years ago. Cool. And, um, you know, I always think about how does that shape me. And uh, uh, so I, I'm curious, do you feel a pull to uh, go do work there when you mentioned going to work? Okay, sure, Asia? sure. Do you mean like... Uh, getting in touch with ancestry or that kind of thing? Mm-hmm. So I guess for your listeners, um, so I come from, um, uh, my parents are Sri Lankan essentially. Okay. Uh, so 
I was like I was born in the UK, but I grew up my entire life in Canada. So when people ask me like, "Oh, where are you from?" my first answer is always Canada, or I'm Canadian. Uh, that's my nationality. It's what I associate with. But uh, Toronto, in Toronto, one in uh, six is an ethnic minority, and one in three people is a visible minority. Um, so my parents are part of the uh, Pierre Elliott Trudeau era of immigrants, where um, the, the late 70s, early 80s, immigration into Canada was promoted. So my parents went from Sri Lanka to London, and then a couple of years in London I was born, and then from London to Toronto. So, um, so I guess you could say my parents are somewhat traditional. Um, they're Sri Lankan. Um, they're of Buddhist religion, which is the uh, majority religion in Sri Lanka. Uh, I didn't grow up religious. I mean, I, I was I was raised to attend Sunday school, but I wouldn't call myself religious now. Um, but I, I certainly appreciate the values of Buddhism. Um, and I guess the other thing to say is that, uh, so my parents speak a language called Sinhalese. That's the majority language in Sri Lanka. And one of the things I kind of um, regret is not, I don't know if it's a regret I can have for myself, is that um, I was... The language was never pushed upon me, so my parents spoke to us in English. Um, now, I can understand the language perfectly, but speaking it is a, is, is a bit of a challenge, and I really only get to practice it when I was around my grandparents, for example. So that's one thing I, I kind of regretted in my childhood, is not really um, embracing myself in the language, if you will. So this whole thing of maybe doing some work in South, a in, in, in South Asia, in Southern Asia, so Sri Lanka, for example, um, I think it would be a great opportunity to learn a bit about my heritage, um, learn the language, learn my culture. And my parents would love it because then they could find like a village uh, wife for me from that country for me to settle down with. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. <laughs> but uh, no, certainly. But it, I mean, I, this, this elective time where I want to travel abroad and do some travel medicine, it's certainly not confined to just Sri Lanka or the southern India. Mm, I, yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. open to whatever suggestions there are. Yeah. Um, but certainly, yeah, like travel, travel somewhere I, w I haven't been is certainly something I'd like to do in that, in that time period. Yeah. It's just such a weighty choice to leave your country and go to a new country. And that choice just reverberates for generations, you know? Like, uh, it's, yeah, I, I need to talk to your parents, I guess. <laughs> really. But, uh, <laughs> but you're right. I mean, you obviously make a lot of sacrifices when you decide to leave the area where you've grown up in, your friends are, your family are, the only thing you've ever known. I mean, you're leaving behind circles that you've grown up with, people who are going to get married and have children, have engagement parties, bachelor parties, bachelorette parties, your nieces are born, your nephews are born, you're missing all this, you're viewing it through social media, wishing you could attend, but it's just too expensive to fly back every month for this wedding and for that person's funeral even. Like, I mean, right. seriously, right? Like, right? So there certainly is a big sacrifice that you make when you do it, but the things you gain from doing it justify that decision um, and you're, you've got a set amount of circles where you were the people that matter to you those circles will stay constant and strong and then you get the beauty of meeting, making new relationships forging new friendships and new family members if you will yeah um, that's a beautiful thing and you meet people who've kind of gone through that same mentality that you have just 
a different trajectory. They've come from maybe Nigeria, and now they're living in London, or what have you, if you know what I mean, so, yeah, cool. All right, the big question. <laughs> Let's see if we can get the most existential that we possibly can. <laughs> <laughs> what is your best travel story? <laughs> I'd like to preface this by saying I can't imagine my, my travel stories will be as interesting as some of the other people uh, that you've had on your podcast. But even even you guys, I'm sure, have had more interesting. And the only thing I can think of that comes to mind is uh, it's very fresh. happened a few days ago in our travels through Mexico and Belize. So uh, my friend Binta and I, we did... Uh, we decided to reconnect after what, two years, isn't it? Um, and we said we should do a trip together. Initially, she was going to come visit me in Vancouver, which is where I live now. It didn't work out. So we said, okay, if you can't come to Vancouver, let's use this time to travel together. So we eventually decided upon flying into Cancun and doing a bit of a Central America trip. So we flew into Cancun, we spent like a day there, and then we traveled throughout the Yucatan Pen Peninsula and Quintana Roo, which is the southern bit of Mexico. Um, had an excellent time. It's an absolutely gorgeous part of the country. If you haven't been there, listeners, and you think it's just resorts and spring breakers, you're completely wrong. There's a beautiful side to it. There's a cultural side. And it's just an, it's, it's an amazing place. So anyway, um, the final stop on our tour essentially was Tulum. Um, and we set up shop there. We did five or six nights there, and we traveled in and around that part of Quintana Roo. And the final day in Tulum, we thought, okay, we'll stay in Tulum this tonight, and then tomorrow we'll catch the ADO, which is their public transportation, and take it to the southernmost city in Mexico called Chetumal, and from there we'll take the water ferry into Belize, because our plan was to go from Mexico to Belize. So we woke up that morning, and I went for a little um, run for some errands, and I came back to our uh, Airbnb, and Binta said, oh, I did a little search. We can actually, instead of going in the morning, we could do an overnight bus, and that way we get to Belize first thing in the morning. We've got the whole day at our disposal. I said, great, let's do that. So we booked these uh, overnight bus tickets. Our bus was leaving at um, 40 minutes past midnight. So we had the whole day. We... Um, whatever pesos we had left on us we're like okay we're gonna spend it all like this is our last day and like we bought the most well she didn't but i bought the most ridiculous souvenirs like literally at the souvenir shops till 30 seconds uh before they were closing trying to negotiate with them um and um spent the last peso we had so both of us were empty, like no no money in our pockets and we thought oh fine whatever we've got our bus tickets we're gonna get on this bus and get through and we'll be fine and uh, sure enough, um, 40 minutes past midnight, got on the bus, very comfortable, um, air conditioning, we got, and there was, it was, wasn't very crowded, we could recline back, we're like, great, six hours, we're going to sleep through this, we'll get to, bo we'll get to the border uh, and get through, so it must have been around four, so, so yeah, so get on the bus, I mean, so it's, uh, so you picture us, you know, we've, we've got the, the headphones on, we're trying to doze off, get some rest, because we've got a big day ahead of us in Belize, and it's about 4 a.m., we get to the border of um, Mexico and Belize, uh, and the bus driver gets up, buenos dias, uh, pasaporta, immigrate, I don't know, sorry to any Spanish listeners, I'm, I'm butchering your language, um, but okay, so we've got to get our passports out, we've got to get off the bus, and then line up uh, in front of this building, that they're opening the door one at a time, allowing each person to enter one at a time, the door closes behind them, and there's an exit out the other end, 
um, which presumably if you pass uh, uh, border control, you get to exit through. So Binta, my friend, is stood in front of me. They call her name. She goes in first. And prior to Binta going in, it was it was working like clockwork. Someone would go in. 30 seconds later, they come out the other end. So Binta goes into the door, and I'm waiting for her to walk out the exit. I'm not seeing her walk out. Okay, fine. A minute passes. A couple minutes pass. Five minutes pass. She's still not walking out. So I said, okay. And then the door opens, and they said, okay, next person. And I was the next person, and so I walk in. And I can see my friend Binta there looking a, a bit frazzled. Um, and I'm not really sure what's going on. So I walk in, and there's two um, uh, immigration officers there, and they asked me for my passport. And for anyone who hasn't traveled to Mexico, the way it works is when you uh, enter the country, they give you a small card. It's a document that essentially says, um, it's, I guess, I don't know how to describe it. It's like your visa, in a sense. Is that how you describe it? And you have to give that card to the officer when you leave, and that basically allows you to exit the country. Now, if you fly into Mexico and you fly out, um, there's no issues at all. Because as we found out, there was a tourism tax. Now, this tourism tax wasn't advertised. Well, I mean, I, I didn't find it on anything I read online. Binta certainly didn't find it on anything she read online. But now, looking back on it, apparently this tourism tax is incorporated into airline fees. So if you do a return flight uh, into Mexico and out, the, the fee is hidden in, in your airline fee. Now, we flew into Mexico, but we were taking land out. So now we have to pay up front 500 pesos. We had no money in our wallets. And credit to my friend Binta, a good friend of mine. She is a feisty individual, and she refused to give in to this. And I, I just followed her lead completely, and I said, no, well, we've got no money on us. You know, we're law-abiding citizens. We work in the healthcare industry. We're not trying to cheat anyone of, of any money. We're not dealing any drugs here. We're just trying to make our way as tourists into Belize. Can you not let us through? And they said, no. Unfortunately, you guys don't have the 500 pesos. You'll have to wait here at the border till 7 in the morning till when our bank opens, and you can withdraw the money and pay us the fee. So we said, okay, but then how do we get to Belize? I mean, like, first of all, our baggage is all on the bus. Do, do we get to collect our baggage? Second of all, do we get a, a, a refunded ticket because we've paid 700 peso? There's a massive language barrier. They have no idea what we're saying. <laughs> They've memorized enough English to translate to us that you must pay this 500 peso fee. So then we're shepherded from this um, building with no windows um, to another building. Uh, and the lady goes into this little office, and we're sat waiting there, and we can see in the distance the other members of our bus group entering the regular immigration uh, building and exiting out one at a time, passing immigration control, no problem, and the line is getting shorter and shorter and shorter, and we're looking at each other like, when it gets to the last person, are they going to wait for us, or is this it? Are we going to end up in a Mexican prison? Um... And the lady comes out and asks for our passports, and she takes our passports and goes back into her little room, and the line's getting shorter and shorter, and we're thinking, maybe one of us should run and tell the bus driver that this is happening, but I don't really want to get shot by Mexican police, maybe we shouldn't run or do any quick movements. And she then calls us in to her little office, and we're asked to... So she comes out of her little office, um, and... and uh, gestures for us to come in and she's sitting at this desk and she's got our passports there and photocopies of our passports hands us a pen and says Binta can you sign here Kavish can you sign here and we sign on the photocopies and 
picks up the photocopies, walks us back to the regular immigration office, says something in Spanish to her colleague and something in Spanish to the guard, and hands us our passports and says, you're free to go. And there's this moment of elation, this moment of relief, you're thinking, hallelujah, I'm not going to have a criminal record. And then you pause and you think, wait a second, what have I just signed? Where is this photocopy going to? <laughs> so I turned around and I said, hold on, what, what does this mean? And the lady who could speak the most English out of the two said, oh, maybe next time you come to Mexico, you might have to pay the 500 peso. And I said, you know what? That's cool. I'm just going to Belize. And that was it. So that might have been my one and only trip to Mexico. I don't know if I have the uh, courage to attempt to enter the country again. And that was our experience going yeah. through, uh, crossing via land, Mexico into wow. Belize. That was beautifully told. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's a big key thing. <laughs> so I guess as an epilogue, um, travelers going to Mexico and plan to exit by land, keep 500 peso in your pocket. Yeah. <laughs> Don't buy the souvenirs at the last minute. No, no, no. Yeah. That, that skull's that just never burned. Really no, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is it worth it? <laughs> Don't forget to check out kiva.org. It's a project that lets you lend money abroad to businesses that otherwise struggle to find capital. It's only one of many ways to bring the world together. You can find the link on our website or just go to kiva.org. Thank you to Kavish and Binta, whose story is coming up soon. Thank you to Dana Boulay for her music. Thank you to Maggie's on Key Cocker. Thank you to Sam at Junior's in Vancouver for keeping Kavish looking fresh. And thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.